Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let the people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone urgently call on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Well, hello again. Would you like a quick way to describe God? It's something that uh, I always find handy. And one thing I think is great about this passage is that the people of Nineveh are extra easy to remember. So anyway, this morning's talk divides into four parts, which I think is on your handouts. Uh, God gives Jonah a second chance. The Ninevites listen to Jonah. God gives the Ninevites a second chance. And Jesus is better. Well, firstly, God gives Jonah a second chance. See verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. See, God could have said, I've had enough of you, Jonah. Um, you, you're no use to me. You're done. Uh, Jonah had already had a second chance because God had saved him from the depths of the ocean. Um, Jonah then could have turned to God and said, look, I'm sorry. But Jonah doesn't do that. And still, even though he didn't, God called him. And when I was first writing this um, series of sermons, I got a surprise email on a Monday morning saying, Jeff, can I have the title for this sermon? And I thought, what? I have no idea, it's a Monday, I've got six more days to come up with a title. But no, that was it. So, people my age, this is what we do when we're in trouble, we Google it. So I Googled, sermon title, Jonah 3. And there are a few suggestions. The Ninevites respond. <sighs> well, it's a bit boring, isn't it? True, boring. The greatest sermon ever. No pressure, Jeff. <laughs> For God so loved Nineveh. I thought, well, actually that's not bad, is it? I thought, actually, it probably belongs in chapter 4. So that's next week. For God so loved Nineveh. And then I came across this, the God of second chances. And I thought, that's it, isn't it? That describes God. And that describes how God is described in this passage. He's the God of second chances. He gives Jonah a second chance. And of course, he gives the Ninevites a second chance. Well, so, God gives Jonah a second chance. Secondly, he gives uh, the Ninevites, listen, 
Verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And it's interesting the Ninevites uh, respond, isn't it? Because I wonder how you would think of the Ninevites. I think you say the Ninevites dis, uh, respond despite what we might think of them. See, they weren't God's people. It's quite the opposite, isn't it? They were wicked. 1 verse 2 of Jonah. God says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And when you hear the king talk about his own people, what did he say? Give up your evil ways. It's, it's not that they were good people. They were not good people. And yet, they respond. And surprisingly, it's actually often the way. It's not the ones we expect. So in Ezekiel chapter 3, which is behind me, this is uh, Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. God's talking to Ezekiel and he says, you're not being sent to a people of, of obscure speech and strange language, but to the people of Israel. Not to many peoples of obscure speech and strange language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I'd sent you to them, they would have listened to you. See, it's not that uh, the people who we might normally describe as God's people listen to God. It's in fact the opposite. The ones who are, the ones who are far away are often the ones who respond. The Ninevites respond. Those in Ezekiel's time, God said, would have respond, responded. A few hundred years ago, um, you would have thought that Europeans are Christians. Those from the Pacific Islands were not. And when this whole thing kicked up with Israel Folau and Rugby Australia, one of Rugby Australia's things that they had to weigh up was, did they risk, if they picked on Israel Folau, did they risk alienating the other Christians, well, that is, the other Pacific Islanders, most of whom were Christians. They didn't have to worry about the European Christians. <laughs> there weren't any then. Things have just reversed completely, haven't they? Who would have thought? Remember Paul? The Apostle Paul persecuted the church, became the greatest, well, I don't know if he's greatest, but a terrific missionary uh, for Christians. China. Many Chinese are turning to God. People turn who we don't expect, and that's the Ninevites. And the Ninevites listen despite the messenger. When I was doing uh, preaching courses, lesson one was, you know, you love the people, otherwise they won't listen to you. Does Jonah love them? Well, I don't think so, really, do you? Look at chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He wasn't happy about the Ninevites turning around. He even ran away from them. Yet Jonah spoke with a poor attitude and people listened. And look at how the Apostle Paul describes in Philippians 1 uh, those who preach not just from bad motives but to stir up trouble for him. Philippians 1 starting at verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry but others out of goodwill. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. 
So it's tempting for us to say, get your motives right and then talk about Jesus. But Paul doesn't say that, does he? He says, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And the Ninevites show us that. They respond despite the messenger. God uses unlikely people to bring people to himself. Perhaps he'll even use us. And the Ninevites listen despite the message. It's a pretty simple message, isn't it? Verse 4, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I think it's quite funny, but um, you remember how Jonah prays from inside the whale. And in chapter 2, verse 9, the second part of 2, verse 9, uh, Jonah's talking about you know, what he's going to do when he gets out. And he says, I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. That's the message that we want to speak, isn't it? We want to speak a message of salvation. And of course, it's a message that we want to hear. We want to hear a happy message. We want to hear things like, you'll have good health. You know, lots of family, big and happy family, great friends. You lived a long life and rule over many countries and everything will be great. That's what we want to hear. And I dare say, that's what we want to speak. But it's not the message, is it? Message. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That is, God will judge. I expect that most of us don't talk about judgment much. It's not our thing. But I think there's good reason for us to talk about judgment. Firstly, the Ninevites listened when all they heard was judgment. And secondly, often our favourite passages... Um, that talk about salvation, actually also talk about judgment. For example, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So even in that sort of most basic description of Christianity, judgment, in this case, perish, uh, gets a run, doesn't it? Or John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Judgment uh, is there or thereabouts. It's something that it's difficult to say, no doubt, but something I think is worth saying because uh, well, the Ninevites responded, and it's right there, even in our very favourite uh, passages. And then there's Penn Jillette's argument. Here's his picture. I wonder if you know this man. You may have seen him on Penn and Teller. Brilliant man. Um, what do they call it? Illusionist, I think, is the word, isn't it? You know, you, I think you could be called a magician, but you get paid more if you're called an illusionist. So he calls he's an illusionist. Uh, very bright guy, certainly not a Christian. But this is uh, what he says about uh, Christians and whatnot. He says, As I've always said, you know, that I don't respect people that don't proselytise. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell, or not getting eternal life, or whatever, and you think, well, it's not really worth telling them this, because it would make it socially awkward. 
how much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if you believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you, sorry, let me try the end. If I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you don't believe it, that truck was bearing down at you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. See, Penn gets it very clearly, doesn't he? It's so important that we warn people what's coming. It's so important we tell people how they can find eternal life and escape the judgment. It's a heavy message, isn't it? The whole message of judgment. But it makes sense. It makes sense to say something. We need to talk about stuff, and that stuff includes God's judgment. Now we can think that uh, when I talk about God, uh, particularly about the judgment of God, it's going to drive people further from God. Um, and I do think that can be the case. But we sh- should be assured that that is, just, that is just the character of talking about God. Uh, as Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 2, he says, for we, are, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. We don't get to choose how people respond. We do get to choose whether they have something to respond to. Yes, it may be awkward. Yes, some people may seem to be further from God. But the only way they're going to come to God is by being exposed to Jesus. And that drives people different ways. Well, this Easter... Sorry, it's been a bit heavy. I hope to move on to something a little bit lighter now uh, for a moment. This Easter, we were in Sydney uh, with my family, or just north of Sydney. Uh, We're in New South Wales, and we were near a place called EV Church. Uh, That's the place to be, apparently. EV Church is eaten a bit. Uh, Colin's been there more than once, Colin. Yeah, that's where they go to learn about stuff, how to run the 5Ms, how to reach Australia. You go to EV. This is it. This is it in a bit. So I've um, got a beautiful picture there. There we go. There's their auditorium. And uh, so I thought, let's go along, see what it's like. See what it is that makes them um, really good. Well, can I say when we got there, the welcome wasn't spectacular. I don't think anyone spoke to us. Uh, the music was good, not spectacular. The sermon was good in my opinion, not spectacular. But what I found interesting, it was Easter Sunday morning, you know, a great happy day, and even on that day, the message of judgment got a run. But isn't that interesting? They still spoke about God's judgment on a day that we normally just celebrate. Hmm. I wonder if that's part of the reason that they're it and a bit. Well, we've heard about the Ninevites turning. Of course, the good news is that God gives the Ninevites a second chance. See, firstly, he gave them a second chance by sending Jonah. He could have said nothing, just let them be. But he didn't do that. He sent Jonah to warn them they would be destroyed and so gave them an opportunity to change. And he didn't give them an opportunity to change because they were good. He didn't give them that second chance because they were good. 
He gave it to them despite their past. So even the king says, verse 8, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. In verse 10, I mean, it's quite striking, isn't it? When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. I mean, the, the way it's spoken, it's so strong, it almost feels like, is God lying? He said he was going to do one thing, he said he was going to destroy them, and now he doesn't. And you also get, perhaps, there's a bit of irony in the message. Because Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, verse 4, and said, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And Nineveh is indeed overthrown, isn't it? But not the way we might expect. The overthrown by heading and doing evil and turn around and completely change their approach to life. Well, did God give them a second chance because of their action? Well, actually, their action wasn't that great. They didn't acknowledge the God of Israel. They didn't go to God's temple in Jerusalem to worship him. They didn't get circumcised like the Israelites had been circumcised. All they did was turn from their evil ways. But verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. See, God is a God of second chances. That's all they did. They turned... God doesn't punish them. Now, I'm, I'm a bit into soccer. I'm not sure how many of you are into soccer, or as we call it, football. There are, broadly speaking, two types of teams in football. And I wonder which you think represents God. There is a team like, for example, Real Madrid. Very, very good team. They won uh, the Champions League three years in a row prior to the latest year. They had won three in a row. To get into Real Madrid, it seems to me you have to train from when you're a child. You have to have good genes and, well, a bit of luck, I think. But, um, so that's the hard team to get into. Now, I've got two people here. The next two on here. Thank you. There's this guy. And then the next one. Thank you. Now, I wonder, this is a bit of um, audience interaction here. I wonder if you can tell me might just flick between those two, Robert, so I didn't have the cleverness to put them both on one slide. What these two people have in common? Now, it's a, sorry, it is a bit of a guess what Jeff's thinking, so you may come up with really good answers, and it may not be what I'm thinking. So, anyway, if, if you wouldn't mind just having a stab or two here or there. But looks? Do you think they look alike? Okay. Does anyone know who they are? Thank you, Jack. So, hang on. Second one's David Beckham. Yeah, it's David Beckham. Anyone have a go at the first one? Gee, you're not soccer connoisseurs here, are you? Uh, probably. That's not what I'm after. No? No, it's, it's, it's actually a very difficult thing. It's how they're both related to uh, the team I just mentioned before, Real Madrid. So... So, that, so that's David Beckham, as you said. And then the other one is Hamas Rodriguez. It's spelt James, but ignore that. It's Hamas. And uh, he played for Colombia. was just outstanding at the 2014 World Cup. And Real Madrid said, oh, thank you very much. We'll, um, you know, paid millions of dollars, bring him into his side. And of course, that's similar to what happened with David Beckham. He was taken out of Manchester United. 
paid millions of dollars, brought into Real Madrid. Both players among the top in the world in their positions. Both players turn up to Real Madrid and hardly played. Um, Hamas, actually on his picture there, if you just go back, Real Madrid realised they actually didn't need him and so sent him off to Bayern Munich. Even though he was still contracted to Real Madrid, yeah, we don't want you, off you go. Anyway, they brought him back this year and I looked at his position um, last night and his official position in the Real Madrid team is sub. He is one of the best players in the world. Uh, certainly was. David Beckham the same. David Beckham probably the second best midfielder in the world at the time. Unfortunately, the best midfielder in the world also played for Real Madrid and so David Beckham was pushed to the side. That's Real Madrid for you. Very hard to get into. Is that uh, what God's like? Well, I have another picture of uh, soccer here. And um, this is the illustrious Unley Browns. That is us um, having just won runners-up in E Division at Unley, uh, Thursday evening soccer. The, what you need to do to qualify to play for the illustrious Unley Browns is you need to turn up. That's it. There's no trials, there's no you know, qualification, there's no being born, there's no having played since you were five. None of that. Just turn up. And I dare to say it's a bit like God, isn't it? It's not that you need to have been good since you were, you were two and been practising hard. It's a bit like us. You, the illustrious Unley Browns, you just need to turn up. It doesn't matter what age you turn up. As you can see there, our average age is not particularly young. You just need to turn up. So God, when he talks about himself, when he describes himself, he describes himself as a God of second chances. So um, again, yep, the next one. So from uh, Exodus, so God is describing who he is. Exodus verse chapter 34 and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord the Lord the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness rebellion and sin yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation so what's God like He's gracious, compassionate, forgiving. That's not all there is to say. It's the first thing. It's not all. See, all the Ninevites did was turn from their evil. And God had compassion on them. They hadn't done more good than bad. They hadn't uh, reached their ideal weight on the good life scales. But, 3 verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And so we don't need to panic that we're not good enough. God is not the God of the scales. He's not weighing up whether we've done enough good to outweigh the bad. Yes, he will punish sin. And he has punished sin. But he calls on people to turn to him and away from evil. And when they do, he forgives as we saw from John 3.16 earlier. 
Well, Jesus refers to this story of the Ninevites and it shows that Jesus is better and also shows how we should respond to Jesus. Luke 11, 32. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now something greater than Jonah is here. See, repent, according to Wikipedia, is when one turns around. One might be heading in this direction, and if he repents, turn around and head that direction. A complete change. That's what the Ninevites did. And so we can't just look at the story of the Ninevites and say, well, that's nice. Because Jesus says, the Ninevites will judge Jesus' generation because Jesus' generation didn't repent. See, Jonah was an ordinary man, bringing a message, well, just of judgment, wasn't it? But we have Jesus, who came uh, with power, miracles, grace, promises that he would come, and he was raised from the dead to show his power. And his promise is not just that we won't be overthrown, but that we can have eternal life. And so, of course, we should be like the people of Nineveh, and change our ways. So what do we learn from uh, this chapter in Jonah? Well, we see that it's loving to tell others about God, because even people we don't expect, like those in Nineveh, and like some of us, might turn to God. And just as God had compassion on the Ninevites when they turned to him, so he'll have compassion on us, of course, and anyone else who repents, because God is a God of second chances.